You know, it's exciting to start a new series in the Word of God, but it's even more exciting to do it through a series of passages that people are already somewhat familiar with. Um, This morning, we're going to begin a study through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. There are 50 chapters in Genesis, so if you're wondering if I'm going to do a 50-week sermon series on Genesis, I'm not. Now, actually, we won't even go 11 weeks. Some of these we're going to combine and and, uh, put together, but uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at a sermon series I'm entitling, Redeeming Genesis. Uh, For a couple of reasons. One, because I think the emphasis on the book of Genesis has been lost recently. Um, And and I don't just mean recently, like in the last couple of years. I mean maybe over the last couple hundred years in the church. Genesis has become the place of flannel graph vacation Bible school stories. And so you've got your little Noah's Ark boat with your cartoon giraffes whose ridiculous head sticks so far above the giraffe is bigger than the boat. And and you've got your Tower of Babel story and it's this cute little almost Eiffel Tower looking thing or maybe it looks like a pyramid from Egypt. And and you're happy little people that go up and then you peel them off for God's judgment but they're still smiling and you set them aside. And and the book of Genesis has become this, this cartoon And so I want to read Genesis again to to know exactly what God is trying to teach us through it. And in that sense, I want to redeem the story of Genesis for us. The second reason why we're entitling this series Redeeming Genesis is because it's in these first 11 chapters of Genesis that we find God's story of redemption originate and begin. So it's not just that we are redeeming Genesis, but we're describing the book of Genesis as a book that is redeeming. It's redeeming Genesis. This isn't just like judgment Genesis. It's not just like creation Genesis. It's not just beginning Genesis. It is redeeming Genesis. And every single sermon will have an emphasis on the redemption of God through the book of Genesis. I'm really excited to go through these familiar texts with you, many of which you will have read dozens of times if you've grown up in church and even if you've not you'll be familiar because you had a board book somewhere that went through the days of creation as a kid and the the Noah's Ark story you had your precious moments Bible at some point that you've flipped through and read most of these stories there'll be a few curveballs I'm excited in about three weeks to go through Genesis chapter 4 and maybe focus in a place that we haven't focused on always But for this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read the entire first chapter and the first few verses of chapter 2. Now, the temptation when we read this is for you to go, um, I know this story already, and to tune out, right? Because we've heard it before. Let's not do that. It, It is repetitive, right? There's a lot of repetition in here. But as we read it, start to read the words and not just skip over the, we've read this in my precious moments Bible before. Now, this morning, our sermon is entitled Chaos to Order, and we're going to see how God is a God of order and brings a chaotic, creative earth into an orderly, uh, sustainable place for you and I to live and have relationship with Him. Before we get into God's Word this morning, I would invite you, if you believe these statements, to repeat after me loudly and boldly before we approach the Word of God. If you can affirm this, repeat this. The Bible is the Word of God. What it teaches, I will believe. 
what it commands, I will obey. And when it convicts, I will change. Turn to me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. It's a lengthy reading this morning. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to do that as well. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're going to go ahead and pause for just a second because there's several places in this one verse that we can get off of really quick already. And that is in verse 2, it says the earth was without form and void. And I think in a lot of our minds, and this is important to get straight, that God came to a, a void of an earth and a formless earth and started putting pieces together. As if God were coming with a substance in front of him that he was molding and making. The truth is he does that. But that first verse that we've read a thousand times is essential before you get to verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created that formless void of an earth. So before we read anything else, let's not pretend like God came and he found this lump of clay and he thought, I'm going to put some water and some land and some trees and some birds. No, God has created everything from nothing. Now, I'm not going to bend your mind any more than that, but go home and think about trying to create something from nothing. The truth is we don't have a concept of that. And so we quickly read these verses and our brain goes to God found a formless earth and he formed it. Let's remember, in the beginning, there was nothing. There was God, no physical matter, no time, no anything. And God creates the heaven and the earth. His spirit is now above this earth. He has created. It's formless. And he continues in chapter 1. Let's read the rest of the chapter and a little bit in verse 2. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate waters from waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees and bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be heavens in the expanse of the heavens, uh, I'm sorry, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be signs and, and for seasons and for days and years. 
Let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds and livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, as we read this afresh, and you've read it 100,000 times, I, I hope that maybe you've caught something that you said, I didn't click before. I didn't realize that before. You know, every time I read it, I find something else that I go, is fascinating. Like, for instance, the first blessing of God is in Genesis chapter 1. Do you realize that? The very first time God blesses anything. And what is the first thing God blesses? You're going to cheat and look back, but don't cheat and look back. What's the first thing God blesses? We like to think it's Adam and Eve, but it's not. I always thought it was. Wouldn't we get the first blessing? No, the first blessing is all of the land creatures, right? You're blessed and be fruitful and multiply. It's amazing. I don't know what, what application I have for that this morning other than to go, God bless the animals. Wonderful. And then I read things like, um, maybe you're catching this for the first time. God creates man and he says, every plant you can have for food. And by the way, all of the creatures of the earth 
that is, the, the elephants and the giraffes and the deer, but also the, the lions, the tigers, and the bears, I'm giving them plants for food as well. You realize God created everything to be vegetarians? By the way, we don't have to be vegetarians anymore. Some of you guys like just breathed in a little bit and went, wait a second, we can't eat meat? No, 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 no. Later on, and we'll get to it, God says, hey, go kill that animal and eat it. So I encourage you to eat bacon. I encourage you to eat steak. I encourage you to have a nice, hearty meal. But in the beginning, God created everything, and he said, there's no death, right? Nothing is going to die that has the breath of life in it. The plants, we know that plants are alive, right? But they don't have the breath of life the way the animals do. You go in, that's what I've planted all the trees and shrubs and plants for. Go eat. Did you know we started off as vegetarians? It's really amazing to think about as we read through all these little things we can find. And, and as I'm reading through Genesis again, what's really striking me is how God uses this first chapter to clarify things for the rest of the Bible. And so this morning, I'm going to get to the purpose of Genesis 1 in just a minute, but I think it's really important that we begin with a defense of creation. I don't have a, a long, detailed outline for this. I've got several things I want to, to hit on, but it's important for us to have a defense of creation because anymore we have taken chapter 1 of Genesis and decided, while the rest of Genesis is telling stories as they happen, Genesis 1 is not a story as it happened. It must be something else because we look at science and it's different, right? So we come to the Word of God and we say, this just doesn't fit what secular scientists tell us, so we need to abandon it. I want to give just really quick a reason why I'm uh, what you would call a young earth creationist. Right? That, that doesn't mean a whole lot other than I don't believe the earth is millions of years old, and I believe God created everything the way Genesis chapter 1 tells us. I just want to give you a few minutes to tell you why I am a young earth creationist and encourage you to study the word of God for yourself and ask whether you are a young earth creationist. I also want you to know that this is not a gospel issue. I had somebody tell me one time, oh, why do you even bother teaching this? It doesn't matter whether you believe the earth is millions of years old or thousands of years old. You don't have to believe one or the other to be a Christian, and that's true. But I'll say, an understanding of whether God's word is what it says it is or isn't does help form the rest of Scripture. If we can turn what is written as a narrative and a historical, factual narrative as it's presented into an allegory, then what else can we do that with? The miracles of the Red Sea parting? Could we do that with, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so I, I believe if we're going to take the Bible seriously, we need to take the Bible seriously. And so I want to give just a, a short defense of creation. First, we need to know this. The Bible is not a science book. Can we be clear about that for just a second? So if you expect us to open the Bible and for it to tell us these are all the science things you need to know, here's how an atom is constructed, and, and here's how animals' lungs work, and, and here's biology or botany or, or anatomy or any of that, the Bible doesn't, doesn't pretend to be a science book. Instead, the Bible is a book revealing God to humanity, and in it he, he reveals some scientific things to us. The first reason why, why I'm a young earth creationist is, is I take Genesis 1 literally partly because of the numbering of the days. Right? So, so one of the theories is the earth is millions of years old, and if God created it, he created day one, 
and that was maybe 10 million years. And day two was another 10 million years or 100 million years. And day three was so on and so forth. And each day represented a long period of time. You know, one of the biggest problems with that is when we read the Bible itself, it, it numbers them specifically for us. Look in verse 5. It's just an example. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. Well, it's a really poor interpretation of the, the Hebrew here. Um, it, it's not actually saying the first day. It says, there's not a the, so it's more like a day, and it's one, not first. Literally, what this says in the Hebrew is, there was evening and there was morning, one day. Not first day. There's a word for first. He didn't use it. One day, he says. And then guess what? On day two, he says there was evening and there was morning, two days. That's what the writer of Hebrews, or the, the writer of, of Genesis is telling us. Two days, and three days, and four days, and five days, and six days. He says, literally, this is how many days have passed. But it's not just the numbers, it's also the marking of the days, right? He wants us to be clear that, that there's a specific amount of time that has passed on each day. And if we're going to take the Word of God seriously, we have to understand he's trying to communicate to us one day has passed, and he marks it with a normal day. Look at verse 5 again. There was evening and there was morning one day. So in case there's any confusion, there was an evening morning, 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 evening morning for a hundred million years. There was evening, there was morning, there was one day. If there's any confusion, the writer of this wants to make it clear. Now, if the earth was millions of years on each day, we have to accept Genesis chapter 1 as being faulty and a lie. And we all affirmed this morning, the Bible is the word of God, and what it teaches I will believe. This is hard for us to fathom sometimes, because now God is saying there's only six days that pass? Here's another reason why I don't believe these days can be millions of years. Because there is a lack of death before the fall. Now, we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks when we look at Genesis chapter 3, but we hit on it with the vegetation, right? Nothing is dying before the fall. There's no sickness. There's no illness. There's no Adam accidentally stepping on an ant, right? It's not happening. There's perfection, and there's no death. How is it that we have animals created on day 5, living for hundreds of millions of years, procreating, never dying, and getting to Adam. How is it that we have dinosaurs that, that we want to believe were extinct well before man ever came and were dead? The lack of death is evidence to me that, that there cannot be millions of years between each day. In the New Testament, the, Paul writes to us in Romans this, the, the fact that just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin where did death come in death came in at sin with adam with eve in genesis chapter 3 a lack of death means this cannot be a million year process how about the rest of scripture what does the rest of the bible tell us about genesis chapter 1 do you know over and over and over again it confirms the hebrew idea that god created the earth in one week six days and a seventh rest day over and over and over and over again always does it reference it as a week as a matter of fact in the old testament the hebrews completely revolved their calendar around genesis chapter 1 their day did not begin in the morning like our day begins 
Their day began in the evening, because there was evening and there was morning one day. To them, that was a literal reading. That means one day consists of an evening and then a morning, and then you go on. So their day began at sundown in the evening. Why? Because it was a literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. How about, how about in the Ten Commandments? God tells us we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. Why? Because of a literal week. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Why do we rest on the seventh day? Because on six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and he rested on the seventh. It's funny to me that, that the commandment doesn't say you are to work for six million years, and then that, that next million years you can rest, right? I kind of wish it was that way, because maybe we'd be in the rest time and we wouldn't have to work, right? Maybe we, we just write up the Bible and go, we're in the rest Sabbath you know, million years. We'll take a break. All of Scripture confirms that Genesis chapter 1 is supposed to be read literally. I know what you're saying, but Trey, wait a second. You're talking about evidence from the Bible itself. What about evidence from outside the Bible that tells us the earth is millions and millions and millions of years old? Well, one of the reasons why I'm a young earth creationist is because of fossil records. This is one of the reasons. And I don't have a Bible passage for this because you just asked me. I could hear it in your brains. What about all of the outside evidence? You want to know there is a ton, I don't mean a little bit, but a ton of evidence that dinosaurs existed thousands of years ago, not millions of years ago. There are bones of, of dinosaurs. In 2005, there was a woman who found a T-Rex bone that had red blood cells in the bone. To their best estimate, at best, at absolute best conditions, living tissue like red blood cells could not survive longer than, in perfect conditions, maybe 5 million years. Not 50 or 500 million years. And truth be told, usually living tissue decays much faster than that. I mean, this has got to be like Captain America preserved in ice conditions to keep this living tissue going, let alone the sitting in a desert with nothing to protect it, and now there's living tissue. This is one example of dozens of fossils that we have with living tissue inside of them. There's a place in Texas, and it's quite controversial. It's a place that is famous for having the highest amount of dinosaur footprint traffic in the world. And if you go there, you'll find all of these secular and Christian scientists agree, dinosaur footprints. You know what other kind of footprints they found embedded mere feet from these dinosaur footprints? Human beings. Like human footprints, literally feet from the dinosaur footprints embedded in the same rock obviously in the same time all side by side now i know this seems kind of strange because we were taught dinosaurs lived millions and millions and millions of years ago and this challenges our way of thinking if you still believe that that does not mean you're any less of a christian than you were this morning but we at least need to acknowledge the bible teaches a literal seven days and we have plenty of evidence that says the earth may not be as old as it seems Often there's a question of, well, what about all of this evidence of the age of Earth when you start looking at layers and rocks? And we've got a couple of, of things to, to talk about there. One is um, our universe seems to be millions and millions of years old. We're seeing stars that are literally millions of light years away. There are lights just now coming to us from 
stars that probably burn out, according to scientists, millions and millions of years ago. How would that be possible if the Earth was only several thousands of years old? And that's really actually maybe one of the easiest questions to answer. When God created Adam and Eve, did he create babies or did he create adults? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you think that they created babies, you're going to be really uncomfortable when you read his command to them to be fruitful and multiply, okay? God created full-grown adults, right? He created his creation with the appearance of age. Adam was minutes old, and he was a fully fit adult man. If God does that with people and with animals and with trees, God said he created plants, right? Not seeds, You want to know which came first, the chicken or the egg? The Bible tells us he created animals, not eggs. He creates things with the appearance of age. How impossible would it be for God then to create a universe with light already in motion? Doesn't seem all that difficult, does it? How about this? You look around the world, and what do you see laid around our world? I love Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. I'm I'm probably going to butcher his quote, but I love how he phrases this. You look all around the world, And you see layers and layers of rock with dead things buried inside. And you think, look at all these millions of years in between. Do you know what's kind of crazy? If there was a worldwide flood, I mean, just a deluge that completely wiped everything out, what would you expect to see as the waters roar across the face of the earth? Well, you'd see layers upon layers of rock with things being buried and dead in layers all across the face of the earth. Isn't it amazing that that's exactly what we find? Now, I know for some of you this is a little bit more challenging, and I want you to go home and study the Word of God for yourself. I want you to ask God, what what does your Word say, and and what can we observe? But the reason why I'm a young earth creationist is because I take the Word of God seriously. I've got friends who take the Word of God very seriously and disagree with me, and we have some ongoing conversations. But I would ask you to study the Word of God for yourself and see what it teaches us. So we talk about the the defense of creation, and we need to do that because I believe this young earth seven days gives us purpose, particularly when we think of God's creation, his active creation. And so I want to close this morning by talking a little bit about the purpose of his creation. There's really two things I want to highlight, and one in particular. The first, before we get to the specific, is that I believe God gives us a story of creation to show his attributes, to show us who he is and how powerful he is, to blow our minds that we serve a God who creates from nothing, to serve a God who who is able to take a void and create matter. We see God's strength. We see his power. As a matter of fact, all through chapter 1, we see God being referred to as the Almighty God. It's a Hebrew word that just means God. Matter of fact, He is it. The one, the only. All throughout chapter 1, God does this, God does that, and He's the only one who can do it. It proves to us as Christians that there is a God who is creator of all things. And if He has created all things, we as His creation need to ask Him for guidance. It's a reminder to us that God is God and we are not. I think even more beautiful in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to unpack it in the rest of our study through Genesis, is the purpose of the creation account is that it's the beginning of God's redemption story. Now, I don't mean that, that God needed to redeem a perfect world. He did not. It was perfect. He looked and said it was good. When he created it all, he looked and said it was very good. 
And yet we see glimpses of God's desire to take chaos and make it orderly. God didn't need six days to create anything. If he's speaking things into existence and he created time, he could have winked at everything and it could have been done like that. But he takes time and he forms. He goes and he creates first a chaotic blob of an earth. That's what he creates. And it's good because God made it, but it is random mess. And then the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. He takes that chaotic mess and he starts separating the waters from the sky and the sea. He starts separating the dry land from the oceans. He starts populating it with vegetation. He starts putting animals in the water and in the sky. He, he puts animals on land and creates human beings. He takes the mess of creation, the wildness and the chaos, and he gives it purpose and he gives it meaning. Everything that God creates has purpose, which is why I believe that first blessing was to animals, to remind us God didn't create animals just because he thought they were cute or maybe they'd be vicious and we thought they were cool. God created them for a purpose, be fruitful and multiply, and God blesses them. God takes the chaos, the mess, and he gives it order. Next week, we're going to look at how God gives humanity order, and we're going to look at the image of God. As I read Genesis chapter 1, what I'm reminded is God is able to take any chaos and any mess, no matter how grand it is, and form it and give it purpose and give it meaning. And that means my own life that is broken, my own life that feels void, formless, and purposeless, God's nature who he is, is to take that chaotic mess and through Jesus Christ give it purpose and meaning. It's no accident that God proves to us he can take a formless earth and give it purpose. He wants us to read that and say he can take my life, my life that's broken, my life that's empty, my life that has no meaning, that life that feels void right now and is missing something and give it purpose and meaning through Jesus Christ. The New Testament is going to tell us exactly how he does that. He's going to remind us in Genesis 1 that there's a purpose and a Messiah that's coming. The rest of Scripture will teach us that God gives us purpose when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. And I promise you, the nature of who God is is to take your mess of a life and give it meaning. This morning, I want you to know that that's our invitation. Is your chaotic life in need of God to come and give order to? Is a sin in your life keeping you from having that relationship with God? This morning, can we just yield to God and say, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm void, and I need you to come into my life and save me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you, by nature, take a chaotic mess and give it purpose and meaning. Father, I take your word literally. I, I read Genesis chapter 1 and I say, what you teach, I will believe. And so, Lord, you're teaching me that my mess of a life can have purpose. 
Lord, I know there are some in here who think their, their life is so chaotic and so messed up, so empty and so, so void that, that there's no possible way it could ever be put back together. Lord, we take your word seriously. So this morning, I pray you would take our emptiness, our brokenness, our sin. Lord, I pray that you would shape us. I pray that you would bless us and give us purpose and meaning. Lord, you're revealed to us in the New Testament that the way you do that to humanity is through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you took a perfect human being who was not in chaos and you broke him for us. You let him take our brokenness so we could take his perfection. Lord, Lord, I thank you for giving us purpose through Christ. So Lord, we submit to you. As the creator, we... We ask that you would forgive us of our sins and place them on Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would give us purpose and meaning as we follow your word. Father, this morning, many of us are broken and empty, and we ask that you would give us hope, give us purpose, give us life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.